Hello, my dear friends. I hope you're well tonight. If you weren't well, or if you were tired, or sad, or anxious, or angry, or anything really, I hope you're beginning to feel a little better now. We're here, under the stars, in the forest now, in my forest. So relax and take a breath and join me here. There. Everything can be alright for just a few moments, at least. Can't it? I've been thinking. I've been wondering. Should I build a house? Not a hovel under the tree roots with a single flimsy door on it. Maybe it should be a house. Maybe I should work on this. It will take some time, and it won't appear overnight. It will take hard work and dedication. But I wonder if it's the right thing to do, or is it best to stay out in the open? Do what I cannot do in the other world with cold wind and hot sun and bitter rain. Here. None of that can touch me. Should I revel in that instead? I wonder. Perhaps I'm wondering about this because, when I sat down recently and shuffled my tarot deck, I thought I'd ask a very simple question. I asked, What should I create? Spiders create. The magician creates. The Empress creates. I want to create. I want to keep creating. But what must I create this week? I asked my cards. And I drew the Seven of Pentacles. Well, no, I didn't draw it. As I was shuffling, it flipped itself out towards my face and flopped right side up in front of me. Who am I to deny such an overture? I am grateful for that, really, because the Seven of Pentacles is a card for sowing seeds and reaping their rewards. In time. It suggests that you have a vision, an idea, and you're working hard towards it. Through perseverance and dedication and careful cultivation, you will find satisfaction. In your own work, and in its results. It tells us to mind the bigger picture, this card. To put your energy very deliberately towards things that will grow and care for you. In time. And sure, there is always ambiguity. Perhaps something is reaching its fruition. Or perhaps it simply means that you're frustrated with the time that it's taking for these seeds to grow. But either way, it insists that we be patient and keep nourishing these things that will one day nourish us. It is difficult, but it is more than possible. I think about building a house, one piece at a time, but that's to lock myself up and keep myself safe. I am safe. I am so safe. I am safe because I am by far the most powerful thing in this forest. 
There may be creatures more nasty than me, more vicious and hungry and cruel. But I am the strongest, and so I do not mind their scratches and their howls. They hurt on a surface level, but I can heal myself. And ultimately, every bite out of me they take, their teeth are stained purple with the poison of my blood. And I'm certain it ends up hurting them more anyway. So I don't think I need to build a house to protect myself from them. Besides, where does it end? A house. A castle. A fortress. A keep. A kingdom. See how quickly conquest kicks in? How wanting one simple thing can turn to wanting much, much more, much, much faster? No. Better instead to plant, instead of build. But plant what? Ambition is not rotten, my friends, but we must take care with it. In truth, I have been grieving the loss of something. Not something that died, do not fear, but I have been grieving something that I thought was true friend but turned out to be false foe. I think that is why I have an instinct to build up rather than plant down. It makes me want to build walls instead of sow seeds. But I will not put a building in this forest. No. Only trees and plants and creatures and spirits here. I will not put a building in this forest. Not for anyone. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was a little beside the point, wasn't it? I'm sorry. Back to the story. If story it is. For we're returning this week to the tale of the girl who I have been writing about. The girl who once was a farmer, then was locked in a tower, then had galaxies in her eyes, then traveled the world and fell into a great pit with me in order to escape a terrible beast with coins in his teeth. I'm sure that all makes sense, doesn't it? How to describe how she got out of that pit? Do you need to know? She had a friend in that chasm. Me, the storyteller. And I helped her out. And she had a friend up above. A friend made entirely of fire. And he helped keep the beasts at bay. The beasts who stalked the land up above. Who made their way into my forest. Just for that one story. Just that once. And somehow I couldn't stop them. I'm sorry. Those things that were not quite boar, not quite bear, not quite wolf, not quite bull. Snapping and snarling and scratching and roaring. Most fled at the sight of a powerful, unyielding fire. Except for one. The leader, 
bigger than all the others, with his glowing green eyes, and with golden coins pouring out of his teeth. Even when his coarse and foul-smelling fur, a hide patched crudely together from the hides of many other smaller animals, caught on fire. He didn't even feel it. That's why he wears the hides of smaller, gentler creatures, to protect his own tender skin. Even as his false hide burned, he snarled at the girl with stars in her eyes, our not-mother. She who defends, she who fights, she who does not birth but who creates constantly. She who nurtures without mothering. Who better to take on this task than a farmer? That's what she was. I created a hero who grows things in the ground, who tills the field, who works with the earth, because... I don't know. I think that's heroic. Growing things for yourself, for others, for the world that cannot have your name written on them. Growing things because you know they must exist, and so you make them happen. Growing things not because they will pay you, or protect you, or serve you, or worship you, or love you, but because they need to exist. And so, you do it. You do it because it is right. You fight for it because it must be defended. If everything we did was so that someone would learn our name and praise it and pay us for it and adore us for it, nothing would ever get done. Anyway, that is our girl. That is our hero tonight. That is my hero always. The Not-Mother. What did she do when she scrambled out of the pit finally and was faced with a terrible creature with glittering gold in his snarling jaws? She took what was most precious to him. Not because she wanted it, but because he did not deserve it. Because it would hurt him more to lose it than it would please her to have it. She stared into those glowing green eyes her blindfold removed, and she showed him how vast the universe is, how wide and wise and chaotic it is. The stars swirled, the earth shrank, the sun blazed, then another sun, larger and greater than our own. Then a million suns became only millions of little stars in a vast, empty, unfathomable blackness. And the great and terrible beast opened his maw in horror at how small he was in the grand scheme of things. And she plunged her arm into his mouth. Fearless girl. She grabbed a heaping handful of coins. He roared and his teeth closed on her arm. And though she screamed in pain, for it hurts to outsmart the great beast, she did not let go. 
Now the fire had burnt through his false hide, made from poor, gentle creatures. And really, how could he have expected them to protect him after what he had done to them? And he began to hurt. So he couldn't help but howl in pain. And she removed her arm. And she ran. She ran for miles and miles and miles. Past the pit from episode 142. Past the haunted house from episode 134. Past the circus from episode 128. Past the cabin from episode 118. Past the tower from episode 101. And all the way back to her farm. The one where we met her. The one where she had been happy. Where life had been simple. The one just outside of a town full of people who cared for her and waved whenever she walked by. And where one day, everyone had just disappeared. The farm was even more silent than it had been on that day, and all the crops were dead. The sun was terribly hot, far too hot than it ought to be, and the ground was parched. Crows and rats and flies ate their fill of dried, dead plants that had been roasting in the heat. And her little house, the one she'd been forced to abandon, the door swung open and everything was tossed carelessly about, ripped apart by those beasts that had ravaged the land over one year ago. I am home, she whispered. She wondered if first she should clean her house, make it livable for herself. But she had become very hardy and resourceful over the last year and so she didn't think that was her first priority. She wondered if she should go into town and see if anyone was wandering about who she could help. And certainly, with her all-seeing eyes, she discovered that there were, indeed. But they had become shy and suspicious over the last year, the townspeople, and she was afraid of what they would think of her newly hunched back, her blindfold, her galaxy eyes. For she too had changed so drastically and was frightening to behold now. She felt the cold of the gold coins in her hand and the sting of the great beast's bite. And as the sun set, she knew instantly what she must do. In traditional interpretations, the Seven of Pentacles card features the image of a farmer resting their chin on their rake, exhausted from hard work but satisfied from it too. They look down admiringly on growing vines, shrubs, plants. And in those plants, those very plants that the farmer had sowed who knows how long ago, are seven pentacles growing. It is a metaphor. I told you what the metaphor is. And the not-mother is a metaphor. I cannot tell you what for, for I know, but I want her to mean whatever she will mean to you without my input, so I cannot tell you. I apologize. 
and in the same way that two negative numbers will make a positive, perhaps two metaphors combined can become something literal. So the not-mother looked up to the sky and shouted, What card did you draw again? And I, hearing her far away in my forest, where I am planting my seeds of a story, shouted back, The Seven of Pentacles. She nodded and set about the very literal work of planting those gold coins in the dry ground. Her hands ached as she did it. Her back ached as she bent to break the dry earth open with an old rusted gardening hoe but her blood fell from the wound the great beast had inflicted in her arm, and as it fell to the ground, the earth muddied itself and opened more easily to her. I sighed somewhere at the idea of this, and because I pitied her and the earth, and because it is my story and I don't care. I don't care if it doesn't make sense, I'm not interested in sense today. I'm interested in planting things and sowing seeds of a better world. Better than this, whether or not it will come to be, I will do what I can to help it come to be anyway, because the fight is worth it. Because of all this, I wept. And as I wept, rain fell hard, and the land opened up and ate the gold coins. The not-mother went to her cabin and saw that there was nothing of worth here anymore. The beasts had taken anything they considered to be precious, and she didn't want it back anyway. What was precious to them, she realized, was no longer precious to her. So she sat on the front porch in an ancient rocking chair. Now the hour was late and the sky was dark, and suddenly she realized that in the absence of so many little towers lighting the sky, in the absence of beasts on fire in the night, the sky was darker than usual, which meant that the stars were so very bright. For a moment, she wasn't sure if they were in her eyes, or her mind, or the sky, until she decided that it didn't matter. They swirled over her head in beautiful dancing patterns. They formed shapes, symmetrical and asymmetrical, and it looked either like someone had very deliberately painted the sky and the stars to look this way, or perhaps the opposite. It could also have been completely random and chaotic and unplanned. And her utter joy came at the decision again that it didn't matter. What mattered was that it was. As her eyelids began to grow heavy, her eyes bouncing back and forth between those insane stars and her bizarre new crop, she could swear that she saw, moving in and out of the rows of planted coins, a figure, all in black, 
with large black wings behind them. The old me will make a good scarecrow here, you see. The old me, vicious and hungry and decadent, is just the thing to ward off intruders, thieves, graspers, beasts. But it is only a facsimile. I hang her up in the field, this mannequin, this false me that no longer exists, as a warning. But truthfully, the one who is really guarding this place is the me that is forest green and berry purple and ice blue and, 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 etc., etc., etc. The one who is guarding this place, making the rain fall, protecting the girl in the rocking chair, haunting the woods and the town and the farm, and planting something good. In time, something will surely grow of these coins I've planted in the ground. These story seeds I sow every week, or as often as I am able. These melodies that I sing you and I to sleep with. These words that beg for peace and care. These characters who fight against greed and callousness. And if nothing grows, at least we made the great beast a little angry. And perhaps, just a little bit, afraid. Oh, my friends, forgive me for this. Forgive me for not having a story, but rather a series of images. Forgive me for being vague for being allegorical, fanciful, doting, and ambiguous. Forgive me for not being so fearsome this week. But I drew the Seven of Pentacles. And if I am to grow something, let it be something good. Sweet dreams to you, my loves. Be well. friends, and thank you as always for joining me tonight for this episode of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, podcaster, composer, imaginary friend, Kristen Zaza. Welcome to July, everybody. I hope yours is off to a lovely start. Starting with some thank yous, I would like to first thank my latest patron through patreon.com. Thank you so, so much to Neil Robman, who pledged a monthly amount in support of what I do here. I really appreciate it, and I am so grateful, Neil. If you'd like to support the show on a monthly basis, like Neil Robman, learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. As a perk, every monthly supporter receives access to my ever-updated soundtrack of the show. So if that's something you'd be into, feel free to check it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. 
If you'd prefer to donate one time only without the soundtrack perk, you can also donate via coffee.com. Learn more at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And as always, we have t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I'm also sending a big warm thank you today to Jennifer Mulraney, a wonderful iTunes user from the U.S. who left me a really sweet five-star review. Thank you so much, Jennifer. If you'd like to leave a review as well, I would love it if uh, you did so on iTunes, or you can also share your thoughts on my Facebook page or anywhere else you'd like to review podcasts. And as always, you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and my Facebook and YouTube pages are just called On A Dark Cold Night. That's a great way to keep up to date with what's going on with me and the show. Give me a quick hello, share your thoughts, fan art, all that wonderful stuff. Thank you for joining me tonight, my friends. I have to say, I've heard from a few listeners recently who have been telling me about their own personal forests, just like mine. And wow, um, what a gift that is to me. So thank you so much for that. I hope all is peaceful in your forest tonight, my friend. I hope that whatever it looks like, whatever is within it, that it is good to you and gentle and all yours. See you next time, my dear friends. Good night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.